Walk, believer, walk, Daniel. Walk, believer, walk, Daniel. Walk, tell you walk, Daniel. Walk, tell you walk, Daniel. Hello, and welcome to this episode of Finnerin's Wake. The purpose of this segment is, once a week, at the end of each week, to recapitulate the most important news stories of the past seven days. The most consequential events to have happened in America and abroad, of which, no matter how busy you are, you'll want to be apprised. It's my humble aim to bring that awareness to you as concisely, honestly, and eloquently as I can. I know how limited and precious your time is and just how quickly it disappears. I also know how much there is to know these days, and the difficulty in finding a dispassionate and reliable source from whom to get good information. My goal is to give you this information and to leave you just a bit more enlightened than you were when you came. I'm going to present the following episode in a format different from that to which I ordinarily adhere. Uh, the following will be, by and large, unscripted. I'll be commenting on the items of the past week with very little promptings, just relying on my memory for, uh, <laughs> as accurate as possible, a recapitulation of what happened in the past week. So we begin with the economy. Now, the latest economic report revealed that this past quarter, the GDP, or the gross domestic product, had suffered, yet again, uh, negative growth. Now, this marks the second consecutive quarter we've witnessed such anemic, uh, discouraging, uh, dare I say, unprosperous trajectory. In the last quarter, as reported on this very channel, the GDP dropped 1.6%. This quarter, it dropped 0.9%. A small consolation, um, by a small drop, I think, as we look forward to a rather bleak economic horizon ahead. Uh, projections are not that the economy will rebound drastically from this sluggish uh, but consistent fall. Now, faithful listeners to this channel doubtless know that two consecutive quarters of negative GDP growth is definitionally a recession. Indeed, this is the definition on which, at least over the course of the recent history, uh, most economists have largely agreed. And yet, the sophistry of the current administration and the deceitful, willing, and sycophantic media outlets by which its verbal ledger domain is picked up and faithfully imitated has attempted to manipulate this settled definition. Many once familiar words, such as vaccine, woman, and recession, with which we speakers of English and possessors of common sense were, I think, tolerably fluent, have been changed. A vaccine derived from uh, the vaca, or the cowpox, to which, uh, thanks to the ingenuity of Dr. Edward Jenner, the English 
physician of the 18th and early 19th century, uh, is no longer what it once was. The word woman, even for the discerning biologist, has become utterly undefinable. Recession now joins them in the category of linguistic nonsense. A recession in the newfangled dictionary of the left is not as we once knew it to be two consecutive quarters of negative GDP growth. At least so long as Democrats control the executive and the legislative branches of our government, it isn't. Under a different administration, you can rest assured it would be. Rather, it's something much less objective, much more ineffable than that, and above all, much less applicable to this administration and to the predicament into which it has gotten us. Not one day before the release of the statistics, uh, President Biden, phoning in remotely due to a recent uh, string of COVID diagnoses, assured us, his interlocutors and the rest of the world, that there would be no recession. Every economic forecast, at least those of which a simpleton like me has any cognizance, loudly proclaimed otherwise. Yet Biden, whose infallible predictive capabilities bear the mark of a man divinely inspired, was wrong. Remember his prediction that Afghanistan wouldn't fall immediately into the Taliban's control, that our departure from that country would be frictionless and tidy, not at all like our harried rooftop escape from Saigon and Vietnam, or his prediction that Putin wouldn't invade Ukraine. The list could go on. And so, rather than owning up to the truth and confronting it with sobriety or embracing frugality with a sharp dampening down of our expenses, we, we resort to changing words. We resort to the errant, unapologetic manipulation of language, to linguistic positivism, to newspeak, a debased language, cold, barren, and unreflective of reality, by which the party's shortcomings can be concealed and its power heightened. In response to our nation's economic woes, the Senate has proposed and nearly passed its misleadingly named Inflation Reduction Act. Note, inflation is at 9.1%, the highest rate since the Carter administration. Indeed, with the recessionary data now released, it can safely be said that we've entered a period of stagflation, a monstrous union of two ugly beasts, stagnant economic growth, and unremitting and uncontrollable inflation. This is the least desirable place an economy wants to find itself. And yet, here we are. The Act, to which West Virginia's Joe Manchin has agreed, on whom so much of our legislation now depends, it was not our founder's intention, it should be said, to have one man wield such disproportionate power would make, quote, historic down payments on deficit reduction to fight inflation, invest in domestic energy production, and reduce carbon emissions by 40% by 2030. Why this portion about carbon emissions is relevant to a bill about the federal mint's printing of too many dollars is unclear to me. The bill also intends to allow, quote, Medicare to negotiate for prescription drug prices. Again, Unclear how this 
impacts inflation. Uh, the consequence of this newfound ability to negotiate might be lower drug prices, but at the loss of advancements in research and development in R&D. The bill goes on to flaunt the $300 billion that'll be invested in climate change programs and new taxes on corporations. It all seems, how shall I say, um, adverse to prosperity to impose upon corporations at this point in time more taxes. Might I remind you, we are entering an era of stagflation. Might we not exacerbate that by placing even more burdens on businesses, on reducing their propensity to hire employees, on causing them to increase their prices on their products on the shelves as a way to offset the higher taxes? Just some thoughts sprung from the mind of a simpleton like me. So that, at present, is the state of the economy. A less than prosperous um, situation through which, in the coming months and perhaps years, we'll have collectively to wade. Now, I admit that first section, all about the economy, was partially scripted. This next aspect of the episode, in which I'll cover the military will be completely unscripted. So again, you'll have to comment and let me know if you think this is a better format, doing it more extemporaneously and without uh, much formal preparation. So I want to talk briefly about the state of the military. The army uh, recently released its uh, latest recruitment statistics, of whose target number this integral branch of our military reached only 40%. That's right, they reached only 40% of their desired quantity of new recruits. Now, I suppose it's first worthwhile to look at the reasons why this might be. Now, there are two sides to this dilemma, the military itself, the army specifically, and those on whom it has its eyes, those it would like to have join its ranks, its forces. Now, dishearteningly, statistics reveal that American youth are woefully unprepared for the rigors of a military life. Obesity trends alone would preclude many of our otherwise eligible young men and women from gaining admission into our ranks. I think the statistic was 25% of those who were otherwise eligible didn't suffer some, from some um, let's just say, copious weight distribution that would prevent them and prohibit them from joining the military. Of course, there are certain physical fitness requirements to which a candidate must um, 
exceed, in order efficiently to be a member of this military, to defend our nation, to advance our interests domestically and abroad. Now, aside from the oh, egregious physical shortcomings of many of our youth, there are many psychological and criminal ones as well. A great deal of our young, uh, age-appropriate candidates for the military have criminal records by which their uh, introduction to and advancement through the military would be prohibited. They also have many psychological deficits, many mental incapacities that would ill-equip them for the stresses of combat, potentially, abroad. So that's, the, that's on the side of the recruits, on the candidates for the military. Um, there might also be just a waning interest in uh, joining the army. Perhaps there are better paths available, more vocational schools that have become more affordable. Certainly university isn't seeing its attendance increase, especially among young uh, male applicants. Indeed, uh, rates of admission into these top universities, not even top universities, general universities, is shockingly down for young men and up for young women. Statistics now clearly bear out the fact that more women than men are taking uh, university degrees, advancing into graduate programs, and walking into uh, prosperous and high-paying jobs. So why, then, on the side of the military might these uh, recruitment statistics be so uh, woefully low? For one, I think the underlying purpose of the military, I think its invigorating ethos, has been warped, enfeebled, made pallid, and changed. What once was a, a fighting force, uh, a unit dedicated to the you know, destruction of its enemy, typically in distant lands, has become simply a, like a pre-vocational school, a technical training institute um, by which you can have further education, further educational bills paid or your health insurance covered. No longer is it chiefly to fulfill one's patriotic duty to execute the will of the American government to um, preserve the liberties of all the citizens the world over, or at least those to whose countries they are so valiantly uh, discharged, but rather to advance in cybersecurity training, to become IT professionals, to acquire a lucrative job at Lockheed Martin or Smith & Wesson or some other weaponry or ballistics company. So, you see, the reason why one would choose the military has changed. Now, along with that, the uh, political dispositions of the top brass, uh, the leaders, to whom all these young recruits are ultimately responsive, 
have also changed in significant and very explicit ways. Uh, the Joint Chiefs of Staff, Mark Milley, the Secretary of Defense, Lloyd Austin, have been quite clear in their desires to uh, purge the ranks of the noxious effects of white supremacy. Uh, to do so, they've made uh, Ibram X. Kendi's How to Be an Anti-Racist Required Reading, uh, whose thesis, quite uh, explicitly stated, is the perpetuation of prejudice, of racism, um, ad infinitum. Now, it's important to remember that in this search for alleged white supremacist uh, dispositions in the ranks of the military branches, a disproportionate number of servicemen, especially those killed in combat, are white. Many are from uh, families that have for generations committed its members, its valiant members, to the military, to the country, to fight and die for whatever cause was then current. And that leads us to another reason why recruitment statistics are so painfully and abysmally low, is that many of these traditional families, uh, through whose many generations the, the streak of patriotism runs, they are, frankly, appalled, offended, insulted by what the military has become. They fear the prospect, of which indeed many parents, not just those sending children to the military, are fearful, of um, allowing their children, their young adult children, to be taken up into an institution by which their minds will be completely corrupted. Now, whether or not this would actually happen, I don't know. I don't have access to the learning materials to which all these servicemen and these recruits are exposed. But the prevailing thought is that once they enlist or uh, begin their term of service in the military, they'll be exposed to so many noxious and corrupting ideas that they'll merge once again back into civilian life as completely altered and unrecognizable, perhaps even incorrigible people. This is something for which parents, usually red-blooded American parents, simply won't stand. And so many families who've historically contributed vital members to our fighting forces are now uh, less enthusiastic about the idea of doing it again with their own children, the newest generation. And so, those families on whom we used to rely to get our finest young men and women are no longer so keen on the prospect of their children's shipping off and being changed thoroughly from the inside out. The consequence of this is that our military capabilities are reduced, our fighting forces are enfeebled, our morale is severely reduced, our preparedness to come to the aid of those countries upon which uh, great threats 
and forceful actions are soon to be visited, it will be all but absent. This at a time when Russia has already invaded and has all but annexed the eastern and southern part of Ukraine, when China is prepared to commit its depredations against the island of Taiwan, and many more areas of the world, including Iran and North Korea, are becoming increasingly belligerent. All the while, we've been unleashing the contents of our strategic uh, petroleum reserves in an order to <laughs> decrease the costs of uh, gas paid at the pump in anticipation of the midterm elections in 2022. And that gas, that energy, is supposed to be used in, term, in times, I should say, of the greatest exigency when we are faced with actual threats, when gasoline is needed to fuel our tanks and planes and cars and trucks, typically when hostile enemies and actors are confronting us abroad. Add to that the fact that we have, in the past few decades, greatly reduced the size of our navy, and we are at present in a very precarious financial situation domestically. All of this augurs very ill for our military prospects in the years to come. And with that, we've come to the conclusion of this week's episode. Now, before departing and bidding adieu, we like here on Veneran's Week to finish with a quote. This week's quote comes from Donald Justice, an American poet who passed away in the year 2004. Men at 40, he said, learn to close softly the doors to rooms they will not be coming back to. Again, men at 40, learn to close softly the doors to rooms they will not be coming back to. Indeed, I feel the same way at 30. There are those doors to which we'll never return. And with that, I thank you for joining me on this extraordinary episode of Finneran's Wake. Again, the format here was a little bit different. It might have worked. It might not have worked. A lot of it was extemporaneously produced. So, please, I beg of you, give me some criticism, your feedback, your opinions, whether or not I should stick to the script or veer off of it. And with that, I bid you farewell from Finneran's Wake. Shout, 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 shout,